We're told by our Lord that um, if a man hear not the church, let him be to thee as the heathen and the publican. So our Lord himself used this um, uh, sort of uh, detestation that the people had for the publicans uh, when he speaks of what a person, the position that one, one puts himself in when he resists the authority of the church. Um, all right, so what reward do you have? In other words, if you just love them that love you. Alapide answers his own question. None. For if you love your friends only, not your enemies, you only do as the publicans do, and God will give you no reward in heaven. For such love is of nature, not of grace and charity, which latter love extends itself even to enemies. And do you receive a reward from your friends, namely, and you do receive a reward from your friends, namely reciprocal love, right? You love your friend, your friend loves you back. But if you love your enemies as well as your friends, by that love of both, by that love, both of you will deserve and obtain great grace and glory from God, since both kinds of love are the fruit of charity. Charity, therefore, bids us love both friends and enemies. Corrupt nature bids us to love our enemies, our friends only. Okay, so charity, divine charity, right? The the uh, the the theological virtue that bids us love both friend and enemy. Nature, corrupt nature, fallen nature, bids us bid uh, to love our friends only. Uh, now, he mentions a, a, a figure in pagan antiquity, Publius Sulla. So, this man uh, was a politician. Uh, he died in 45 BC. He was a politician in the late Roman Republic, and he was the brother-in-law to Pompey. Now, Publius Sulla was once to boast that he surpassed his friends in benefits, his enemies in injuries. For instance, when he cruelly lacerated C. Marius and Plutarch records as Plutarch records in his life. Other heathens did the same. Amazingly, so, okay, so, so this is an example of heathen cruelty. So they loved their friends, but they hated their enemies. Amazingly, there were some, but only a few among them, who did love their enemies, too, such as uh, Phocion. Now, Phocion was an Athenian um, diplomat. He was actually a general and a diplomat around the time of um, Alexander the Great. In fact, um, he he had to deal with the Macedonians uh, in... Um, some wars uh, when he was the de facto leader of Athens for some years and tried to make peace uh, with the uh, with the the dominant Macedonians. Uh, remember, um, Alexander the Great was the son of Philip of Macedon, which is north of Greek. And it's really providential that Alexander the Great, who was taught by um, Plato, would um, put taught rather by Aristotle would spread Greek culture in s- such a such a big way. By the way, this uh, this um, statesman and diplomat in general, Phocion, was actually a student of Plato. He had studied under Plato. Okay, such was Phocion, who, being condemned to death at point of execution, being asked what message he would send to his son, made answer, quote, "I wish him to forget this injury which the Athenians have done to me, because." Although he was the leader of Athens, <laughs> he ended up being killed by them uh, because they uh, they didn't like his listing towards the um, 
the Macedonians and towards, you know, trying to sort of reconcile and live under the empire that Alexander the Great was building. Uh, and they wanted to turn to they wanted to return to pure democracy such as they had had previously. So they killed him. And then, in short order, they built a statue to him to honor him. It's very funny. Um, our Lord accused the Jews of doing exactly the same thing with the prophets. They, they killed them, and then they built shrines in their honor. Um, Lysurgus, king of the Lacedaemonians, was deprived of an eye by a certain young man. The people handed the youth over to him so that he might punish him in any way that he pleased. Lysurgus took the youth and gave him excellent instruction, and when he had taught him honest ways, he brought him into the theater and presented him to the people, saying, Lo, him whom I received from you, violent and injurious, I restore to you productive and civil, end quote. See Plutarch in his Life of Lysurgus. If the Gentiles, that is to say the heathen, the, the, the pagans, led by nature and reason, did such things as these for the sake of temporal glory, what ought not Christians to do, led by faith and grace, for the reward of a blessed eternity? That's what you call a very good uh, rhetorical question. Okay, verse 47. And if you salute your brethren, now he has in parentheses, relations, kinsfolk, friends, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more? Do not also the heathens this. Okay, for salute, the Greek has, Greek, salute with a kiss and embrace, which long ago was the customary method of salutation among the Greeks and the Romans, and indeed amongst Christians, according to those words of St. Paul, Salute one another with a holy kiss from 2 Corinthians 13.12. Hence, Vitablius translates it, If you welcome your brethren, or if you salute them by embracing them, what more do you do than even the publicans and heathens do? So, you're not exceeding what they do. Um, so, uh, he quotes some more Greek and, and some technical stuff here. Okay, okay, so, for as the next words explain... Even the heathens do that. <laughs> Thus, with the Vulgate, St. Chrysostom reads, um, Okay, Christ teaches here, therefore, that not only brethren and friends are to be greeted, but also strangers and enemies. First, then, greet both your enemy and your friend. If you have a generous spirit and greet all the more in return someone who greets you, so that you might more readily receive the crown of humility and triumph over the pride of the enemy and cast it down, as St. John Chrysostom teaches. Understanding this greeting to mean all other signs of benevolence. So, we should understand that we don't just greet them, you know, hello, and then, <laughs> and then proceed to treat them like garbage. Um, so, it's uh, all all other signs of benevolence. This is what the apostle says, with honor preventing, that is to say, anticipating one another. Okay, verse 48. Uh, by the way, that word preventing um, in, in Latin, it means literally to come before. So it, 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 it means anticipating. We, we, we tend to think of it as coming before something in order to stop it, just to, to, to put an estoppel on something, but that's not the, the original meaning. Verse 48, 
Be you therefore perfect, as also your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, he says an awful lot about this. I'm going to be highly selective here. The emphasis here is upon the word you, meaning you are separated from the heathen and chosen by God that you should be his faithful ones, his friends, his sons, and heirs. Therefore, imitate the holiness and perfection of your heavenly Father. The word therefore, as in be you therefore perfect, refers partly to what immediately proceeds concerning the love of our enemies. Quote, the heathens love too, but only their friends. Therefore, O you faithful, who are the friends and children of God, and who ought therefore to be better than the heathen, love all men, enemies as well as friends, even as your Father wholly extends his love to all. Therefore, be perfect, specifically in love and kindness, excluding no one from your charity, but enlarging and expanding it for all, both enemies and friends, and embrace all with it, both those from whom you expect nothing and those from whom you expect some return. End quote. And the quote is just Alapide giving this quoted passage as a paraphrase of what's being said. But the word therefore also refers to all that has gone before. For this maxim is the end and completion of all the sayings of this chapter. Remember, it begins with the Beatitudes. Uh, Of this chapter, though Christ said, Thus far I have unfolded the commandments of God, which are the sanction of the perfection of all virtue. Be ye therefore perfect in meekness, in purity of heart, in patience, in chastity, in charity, and in every virtue which the law of God commands. Again, so that's recalling the Beatitudes. So when, when, when he's saying, be ye therefore perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, he's speaking specifically about this command to love one's enemies, but he's also speaking in general about everything that has come so far in the Sermon on the Mount, because remember, it's going to continue into chapters 6 and 7 of St. Matthew as well. You're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel. This is Brother Andre Marie, and this is episode number 366, What Does It Mean to Love Your Enemy? So I'm skipping ahead. He's got some more things to say about perfection, and um, it's um, I'm, I'm more than halfway through the quotes from Alapide, so uh, hopefully I'm, I'm not reading it too badly and you're not too bored at hearing at being read to. All right, so moreover, this perfection, meaning be you therefore perfect, this perfection mainly consists in charity and love, especially of our enemies. For this is the perfection of the way, since the perfection of the fatherland consists in the vision and fruition of God. This perfection and holiness must be great, especially in consecrated religious, because it is great in God to whom they have consecrated themselves and to whom they ought to imitate, as Christ commands here. Christ here tacitly intimates that the means and method for attaining perfection and imminent sanctity is for anyone to exercise himself in the love of his enemies both because this is the highest and most difficult act of charity and because it is the greatest victory over ourselves, 